This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Christine Lagarde, Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, sees no alternative to the strict austerity policies being imposed on many peripheral European countries. Says the double-dip recessions in Italy and Ireland just announced come as no surprise, and notes that IMF reforms will shift 6% of current quotas to dynamic emerging countries. Lagarde's comments came in an exclusive interview with Knowledge at Wharton and media partner Paris Tech Review late last week, as BRIC countries demanded more voting power in return for larger financial contributions being requested by the IMF. Clearly, the BRICs will be recipients of these additional quotas, which cover voting power and financial contributions, Lagarde says. Additionally, the IMF will release a new model for assessing the world's exchange rates later this year, and she confirmed that the fund will likely raise U.S. GDP growth estimates for 2012 a little bit, up from the current 1.8% at the IMF World Bank Spring Meeting starting April 16th. After a distinguished legal and consulting career, Lagarde was named France's Minister for Foreign Trade and then became the first woman to hold the post of Finance and Economy Minister of a G7 country. Forbes ranks her as the ninth most powerful woman in the world, right behind Michelle Obama, and the 39th most powerful person on the combined men's and women's list. um, We learned just in the last week or so that Italy and Ireland are both returning to recession, and... um, I'm wondering if you see the larger fallout from that. Is that, is that a sign that, that, yes, it's just two countries, but is it a sign that, that maybe the, the world outlook, which was generally improving, is maybe getting a little bit shakier once again? It's, you know, as, as part of this fragile um, recovery that we have been seeing since, you know, January, more or less, um, we have always considered that Europe and the Eurozone in particular would, would go through a mild recession. Uh, and, and those countries that are driving the recession uh, aspect of this, this movement are clearly countries like Ireland, like Greece, like Portugal, like Italy. So it's, it doesn't come as a surprise, and it's really part of a process that we had anticipated that we were forecasting for 2012. So um, related to that, uh, austerity has been one of the chief policy levers that Europe has been using to deal with the crisis. Mm. And um, I'm wondering if you think European leaders have focused on it a little too much because as they continue to advocate austerity, cuts in government spending, um, that can lead to actually possibly higher deficits because mm. you get less revenues and so forth. Is there is there some better balance between austerity and some kind of stimulus that that you see? Uh, do you think they've gone too far? Is it too much austerity? Well, if, if everybody goes at the same pace uh, on, you know, with austerity measures, uh, clearly it puts the whole region at risk. Uh, what, what we have advocated, um, I think consistent, consistently now for, for at least the last six months, is that there be a proper balance within the zone, particularly, within the advanced economies uh, and that there be a proper balance between the austerity measures that are necessary and 
the growth facilitating measures, if you will. So our view is that it's not a one-size-fits-all, and there are some countries that can actually afford to relax a little bit the austerity path that they had embarked on. Uh, there are countries that cannot um, relax the austerity measures that they have taken, like you know, if I have to give a for instance, I think Greece is, is one, uh, one country that certainly should not relax its, uh, its measures. Italy is another one. Uh, but they're giving a little latitude towards Spain. Uh, the, you know, I'm not really thinking in terms of latitude. I think there are countries that have to be very, very brutal in terms of, of reducing their deficit, in terms of bringing more... Uh, sanity in their public finances and the periphery of the core of the eurozone is clearly at stake uh, in that regard and then you have countries that are pretty much balanced and that can just let the automatic stabilizers uh, play out you know let the, uh, the the welfare system play and and uh, and not have to compensate the reduced revenues that results from the uh, the, the current economic situation that they, they face and then you have other countries, not many unfortunately, that can slow the pace and relax seriously so that they can let recovery uh, pick up. And there are some, you know, a couple of uh, large European countries that could probably look at that. So you're saying more or less that you're in agreement with the way that balances at the moment. In agreement in the sense that I guess what I'm really trying to get at... I think in terms of diagnosis, what I agree with, and that is, is the fact that austerity should not be the exclusive focus of attention. It should not be the underlying you know, general theme across the region in terms of economic policy. And, uh, and I also agree with the fact that growth is clearly a, a key factor to try to uh, not only kickstart but, but maintain the recovery that, has, that is beginning to take hold in some countries. Because otherwise it makes the, the whole exercise extremely difficult. Can you have too much austerity in the short term, though, rather than it being spread out a little more evenly, let's say, towards the medium and long term? It depends, on the, si it, it, it depends on the situation of the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some countries for which it has to be uh, sort of brutal and heavy mm -hmm. in order to be able to, to bounce back from, uh, from that situation. Okay. Um, you said that Europe needs deeper integration and bigger firewalls. And uh, I'm wondering what... Yeah, I said that when nobody was really yet at the table, and now, now, almost. So my question is going to be, what does that look like? We've seen a little bit more about what that looks like just in recent weeks, but uh, a little bit more medium and longer term. What, what does that deeper integration look like? What would be a long-term, some long-term goals for that? Well, deeper integration is... Um, a recent development that was much needed in order to consolidate the currency zone. And they've done things recently that was totally unexpected and, uh, and actually almost unimaginable uh, only 18 months ago. So what, what, what I think is important for a better integration is a combination of um, fiscal solid coordination with real discipline uh, imposed upon the partners with sanctions which are not only applicable but are applied if there is violation of the rules. Because so they would be the GDP ratios that need to be met in terms of 
deficits yeah, yeah. And, and overall debt. Yeah, debt yeah. to GDP and 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 deficit and uh, and general trends. What they have added to what was initially the growth and stability pact, which in a way had in, had you know those terms uh, in the um, in the in. I mean, that was already planned in the Growth and Stability Pact in a way, but with very uh, little by way of teeth and, and, and make sure, you know, measures to make sure that it was implemented. What they've added as well is um, a preventive um, aspect to their pact where they anticipate and they can actually you know, be helpful to members that are going uh, down a trend that is going to lead them to violate the rules, the 3% deficit and the 60% debt to, to GDP ratio. So that's a good one. Um, you know, clearly in terms of better integration, uh, there is one institution that has played a much better uh, and very significant role lately, which is the European Central Bank in terms of, you know, number one, uh, reducing the level of collaterals to make sure that it, it's, it's more... Um, of, of better service to the members, and number two, providing much more liquidity to the banks um, so that they can not only finance themselves but also provide uh, credit uh, to the to the markets and uh, and avoid the the negative deleveraging that nobody wants. I think the ultimate integration that would be desirable is to would be to have some uh, some sort of uh, joint liability uh, that that would come from something like eurobonds. Uh, or, or you know, a joint instrument that would actually pool uh, the countries together in terms of of their borrowing. Now we're not there; they are not there yet, and uh, and I think that it will probably require some of the member states to actually improve their situation, improve their competitiveness, catch up with the uh, the delay that that. Uh, <coughs> they have suffered from, or that they have inflicted upon themselves by doing. Uh, the wrong things or by not doing anything. And once that has, has happened, then one might hope that this sort of fiscal um, integration and joint liability would, uh, would, would, would be in place. That's something that's gotten a lot of resistance. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, right where Eurobonds has, you know, raises hackles in, in a lot of quarters, but I take it that your point is that if they can cooperate on these on these measures and these, the, 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 but you know even on that front there has been huge progress because if you look back 18 months ago at the time when uh, uh, Juncker and Tremonti the Prime Minister of Luxembourg and, uh, and Italy proposed it in a joint paper in the Financial Times if I recall at the time uh, Chancellor Merkel was absolutely dead against it now her position has has evolved, and she's she or her minister of finance are saying, well, not now, mm -hmm. but in the future, uh, why not? Mm -hmm. And the uh, the nine wise economists of uh, of Germany have themselves put together a proposal that could go a long way into, you know, bringing some some joint joint responsibility amongst the members. So that's a big shift. Yeah, it's a huge shift. Um. Is there a role for the IMF in helping this to move forward, this, this increased integration, or is that something the Europeans do? It, it, it has to belong to them. It has to be theirs. Um, they should have ownership of all of that. And uh, all we can do is identify, demonstrate with the, the team of uh, great experts that we have in this uh, institution, um, 
the benefits of doing so, the drawbacks of not doing it, and um, and perhaps contributing and something to the stability fund that might allow it all to go more smoothly. Well, we will be part of the firewall at some stage, and uh, you know the firewall is not just going to be about Europe. They are going to have to build their firewall, and I hope that we will be seeing developments very shortly. Um, but the IMF, as a multilateral institution, will also have to develop more firepower uh, in order to be able to to assist not only the eurozone but also any any country outside the eurozone that would be a collateral victim of any uh, any resurgence of the crisis. Do you think it's possible in the medium and long term for the Eurozone to keep the common currency without more political integration? Well, it's difficult to you know, read into the future, but what, what, what we can say is, is that it would certainly strengthen and, and make the, the, the whole currency zone uh, much more sustainable and safe if it was together with political... Uh, I don't know whether you want to call it political integration, but certainly an economic and a fiscal uh, integration that would be much deeper. Uh, my next question um, goes back to Spain, where youth unemployment is above 50%. I know mm -hmm. you've spoken about this, and it's very important to mm. you. I'm wondering, what, are there any specific policies that can help to redress this, apart from those that would stimulate the economy in general and hopefully raise unemployment? Are there, are there any other measures? Well, we wish, you know, we all wish there was some, mm -hmm. some you know, um, magic bullet or, or, or magic stick that we could use to create jobs because that's really at the end of the day what we what we what everybody wants to do. Uh, it's it's not just growth in and of itself. It's jobs. It's keeping people off the street. It's making sure that they have a chance to, um, you know, ex express themselves on the on the on the job market and uh, and have dignity through work as well. But you know, apart from stimulating growth, apart from from you know, an economic situation that warrants the creation of jobs. Uh, there are no magical recipe for that. But it's a, it's a key issue, key issue. Uh, but can, can I, I just as a follow-up to your question, uh, because you know we keep talking about growth, and and we have seen in the past occasions where growth was actually generated, but without jobs, or growth exclusively directed at you know, a very small elite portion of society. And I think, you know, when you think of a country like Spain, but many other countries as well, it has to be growth that actually creates jobs and, and growth that is sufficiently inclusive uh, that it actually participates in keeping the chemistry of society together. So not just growth in one sector, such as the finance sector, for example. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. How do you see the role of the IMF evolving in dealing with global economic issues over the next few years? My, my constant concern and ambition at the same time is to make sure that the IMF continues to be relevant to its membership. And to me, for the IMF to be relevant, it has to be both uh, representative of the membership and therefore um, credible from an institutional point of view and second, it has to be uh, relevant from a quality point of view. So we need to both represent our membership and, and we need to provide the quality of advice, the quality of service, uh, the quality of technical assistance, the quality of surveillance that will make us constantly relevant 
So it's a combination of quality and credibility that make that will make, continue to make us relevant. Having said that, uh, I think the, the role of the IMF is evolving and we have to constantly be sufficient, sufficiently agile so that we actually pick up the, the, the learnings from the crisis. If I give you an example, um, we have we, the traditional exercise of the IMF was to conduct what we call the Article 4, those bilateral exercises that consisted of you know, going under the skin of a country and finding out whether the economic policies were the right mix, whether, you know, we could recommend some, some better solutions and options. Now, on the occasion of the financial crisis, we went much further into uh, multilateral, multilateral uh, surveillance, into the study of spillover effects, for instance. You know, the financial crisis has hit in a particular country, but it, had, it has had effects in many other countries. How did that conti contagion occur? How fast did it contaminate the rest? And why was it so fast through those particular segments? So those are the things where we have, I think, an added value compared with others because we have this sort of huge database of knowledge and information about 187 uh, members of the institution. And we are in this sort of surveillance position, which is very privileged because we have access uh, we, we can analyze and then we can restitute to the members what will be helpful for them. So I think in that way our role has evolved to include much more of, a, of an effective, more holistic surveillance of, of, the, uh, of the economic situation. How, how do you build credibility? And I think we need more money. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask uh, how, how you build more credibility and quality. More cre well, credibility... Uh, I told you, I think it's a matter of being representative of the institution. And that's a factor of uh, our quota allocation, factor of our governance. Does the board actually reflect the membership? So that, I think, deals with the, the credibility. We have, to, um, we have to represent our membership. We have to look alike our membership. And uh, that obviously calls for diversity of, of the staff both in terms of gender, in terms of geographical origin, in terms of way of thinking and cultural background. That's for credibility. And quality is, is not a subset, but it's, it's closely linked to this issue of diversity, for instance, to have the ability to bring people with different uh, background uh, from different regions of the world to actually bring their brains together and be prepared to confront uh, their they views, their theory, their analysis of problems, and then be honest about it. I think that's also a big test of the uh, relevance of the institution. Historically, the IMF has been dominated by the industrialized Western countries. And I was wondering how you see the role of the BRICS nations, uh, in the, uh, especially China and India in the IMF. Mm. Um, significantly evolving. And I think it reflects, as I was telling you, for the uh, credibility issue, it reflects the economic evolution the, of, of, those of those countries, both you know, India, China, and, and the rest. And I think it's, it's best manifested in three areas. One is the staff. You know, how many staff do we have in the institution that come from India, that come from China? And it, it applies throughout the institution, but also at the top level. How many from the management 
are originating from China or India. And there is quite a number of them. I've just recently appointed the, uh, the secretary of the board, who is now a Chinese national. One of my deputy managing director is a Chinese national. And of the key uh, leaders of this institution, we have many very, very talented uh, Indian economists uh, who sometimes lead key departments like the strategic department. So that's one level. Then you have a second level, which is the um, the the, um, the quota and voices, and that's an, an evolving phenomenon because uh, we are right in the middle of a quota reform, uh, which is going to shift six percent of uh, current quota to dynamic emerging um, countries, and clearly uh, the BRICS will be. Uh, recipients of these additional quotas and as a result of the reform will be within the top 10 countries of this institution in terms of quotas and, and, and voices. Um, the third level, but it's not as, I, I don't think it's as relevant, but it's, it matters as well, is whether they you know, sit at the board of the institution and as it happens, they, they will do. Um, Brazil has a, sits at the table uh, Russia sits at the table, India sits at the table, China does as well, and um, yeah. Uh, what could be the role of the IMF for a better balance between rates of exchange, uh, for example, or a possible re-evaluation re re of the yuan versus the US dollar and the euro? It's funny that you, you would focus exclusively on these ones, because actually uh, our job is to is to assess the appropriate exchange rate and to, to actually, you know, say what we think of it. For each and every 187 uh, members of the institution. Um, and we do that through appropriate modeling and, and gathering of data and comparing and, uh, and taking into account multiple data, including uh, the current account, but not only the current account, of course. And um, it's, it's, it's a very... Um, it's a daunting task because we don't make anybody happy. Uh, everybody uh, sees himself, or you know, either higher or lower, and uh, and our assessment is not necessarily uh, always welcome or well received. But we do it on the basis of of what we know, what we observe, what we can compile and and and, and model. We are in the process of refining and updating actually our methodology, and uh, probably later in 2012 we'll be able to actually. Uh, come up with with a new new methodology and new uh, model of assessing the exchange rates. I'm wondering if um, the IMF will be um, raise, raising its projected growth rate for the U.S. Uh, at the spring meeting above. I think it's 1.8 percent right now. Maybe a little bit. But you'll have to be a bit patient because it's not until uh, you know about three weeks from now. Yeah, but maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there have been good signs, let's, let's face it. Yeah. There have been good, good numbers coming out, particularly on the, uh, on the unemployment front, on, on some high-frequency indicators as well. And there are measures taken at the moment, particularly on the housing market, that, that might um, turn out some, uh, some significantly improved results. So, um, And I'm wondering, of all the things that you do here, what... what what are you most passionate about? What, do, what would you really like to make sure happens? And it could be a small thing, it could be a large thing. What, what is it that really has, you know, has your heart here? Uh, that's complicated. 
I think that it's this issue of relevance that that is of of real concern to me, because the see. It's, it's a very fascinating institution, which is why I was asking you about your business model, because it's a completely counter-cyclical institution. When the world around the IMF goes poorly, downhill, we thrive. We do exceptionally well, because we lend money, and we earn interest and charges and all the rest of it, and the institution does well. Uh, and when the world goes you know, well, and we've had years of growth, as was the case back in 2006-2007, the IMF doesn't do so well, both financially and otherwise. And I think that, you know, for this institution, which is an, a, a fascinating mix of, you know, all, all countries of the world with a single objective that should transcend all their respective uh, individual um, policies and, 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 and strategies, uh, for, for it to be sustainable, we need to be very agile, very in touch with our, our membership, with our client base, if you will, and we need to be able to invent and reinvent ourselves in many ways. So what I was explaining to you from bilateral to multilateral surveillance, from you know, a sort of narrow focus to something which is more holistic, is, is exactly what is, uh, what is at stake. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.